0: Good morning or afternoon. Welcome to the Truth Factor discussion. We are continuing our study today in Acts chapter 7. This is episode 252, and we're looking at the last half of Acts chapter 7, starting there with verse 37. We had kind of an extended pre-show discussion on preachers and taxes, and uh we are not authorities by any stretch of the imagination, so we're going to go to something that we know a little bit more about, and that, of course, is the Bible, the Word of God. Good morning, gentlemen. It's good to see everyone today. Paul, if you would morning. take a moment and let everybody know how they can participate in today's discussion.
1: I'd be happy to do that, John. Uh, whether you're looking on uh, YouTube or maybe you are on Facebook or Twitter, uh, what you want to look for is Truth Factor Live, uh, Facebook.com slash Truth Factor Live, or same thing with. Uh, YouTube if you're searching there or Twitter and so uh, we appreciate you watching today and you can interact with us in those ways. Uh, I will say just personal opinion that the uh, YouTube chat works the very best, uh, makes it easiest for us to bring in your comments and so if you're watching on YouTube uh, we appreciate that. You might also want to send any one of us a question like Paul, John, uh, Mike, Brendan, uh, Brian, Tom, uh, and you can do that uh, at truthfactor.com. Uh, John just put that up. Paul at truthfactor.com, or maybe you're you're looking at uh, one of the other guys. Just put their first name there, and uh, with that email address. If you'd like to send something to all of us, maybe you have a general comment for the Truth Factor group. You can send that to questions at truthfactor.com.
0: Questions at truthfactor.com. John. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. All right, so we're going to continue today in Acts chapter seven there in verse thirty seven Just by brief, by a way of a brief introductory leading up to this, we have Stephen Stephen has been giving a defense before the council, and he seems like he's giving them basically a Bible review going back to Abraham. But what we're seeing in the previous section and what we're about to get into. He's about to make a connection between the rebellion of the children of Israel and the current generation that crucified Jesus. I say that because when you look at the text there, and let me bring it up on the screen there for just a second. When you look at the previous passages there, and we go back up into the earlier section here. Oh, let's go back up to about verse 36 there. There we go. When we have Moses and the children of Israel, and um, the Lord had led them out of the land of Egypt, you'll notice there that as they came over and they crossed the Red Sea, he makes a reference to them being in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, he doesn't elaborate a whole lot on, at this point, why they were in the wilderness, but as we hit verse 37, we now begin to see this rebellious attitude. Um, There was one point earlier, and I mean, I I should have scrolled back far enough, but in talking about Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery, there was a reference to how the patriarchs did that. In other words, their fathers are the ones that sold Joseph. So let's go ahead and start um, with verse 37, and Brian, if you would, read for us beginning in verse 37, and let's read down through verse 43, if you would.
2: I'll be pleased to do that, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, and we're in Acts chapter 7, beginning reading at verse 37. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As is written in the book of the prophets, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God, Remphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon.
0: Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you reading that for us. Now, there's something I want to ask you about, and let me bring the text back up there for just a second. When you consider the context of what he was looking at and what he was talking about, it is interesting that they start with the the prophecy by Moses. Brian, tell us a little more about that prophecy, if you would.
2: Well, it's a very interesting prophecy. Um, The prophecy is one that uh, we're told in the book of Deuteronomy. It was Moses telling that one day a great prophet would arise like him. What's interesting about this prophecy is we oftentimes identify the idea of the Messiah, uh, and the word Messiah means anointed one. Uh, In in Hebrew, but we identify the work of a Messiah with those offices in the Old Testament, which were anointed offices. A king was anointed. A high priest was anointed. And and although not very often, we actually know that even prophets were anointed, uh, like Elijah anointing Elisha. And so when Moses makes this statement, he's talking about a prophet that would be like him. Uh, We're told in Hebrews chapter 3 that Jesus and Moses are comparable to one another as they're both mediators of a covenant. Of course, the Hebrew writer makes the point that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, uh, being both a better mediator, a better law, and better promises. So all of this being said, it's a very important prophecy about the identity of Jesus. By the way, it's kind of interesting to note that this prophecy is one that uh, Muslims point to, to say that the Old Testament predicted Muhammad. Now, there's one very glaring problem with that, And that is that Moses said it would be a prophet like him raised from his brethren, which would indicate that he would be a Jewish prophet. And of course, uh, Islam cannot deal with that, that problem in the text.
0: That's an interesting point, Brian. I didn't, I didn't realize that this is what they looked at for that particular case and point in that argument there. All right, let's see, as we continue through this, the next thing that I want to notice is that he illustrates quite strongly You'll notice there in verses 39 and 40, he illustrates very strongly their rebellion. And so here you have an angel that has spoken to Moses on the mountain, gave him the living oracles, as the text says there. But in addition to the living oracles and, and the account of that, Paul, if you'll notice in verse 39, what is the observation made regarding the people and their attitude towards the living oracles given by the angel to Moses.
1: Well, they were headstrong. It says that they would not obey. Uh, and in looking at that, they rejected in their hearts. They turned back to Egypt. And so here seems to be a uh, uh, the idea, not seems to be, it, it is the idea that they um, God had rescued them uh, from the oppression that they were under. But then in a very short amount of time, Uh, They're turning away from God. They're not wanting to listen to God. The messengers that God is using, uh, they don't want to listen to. They don't want to respect. Uh, They are a rebellious, a headstrong, a stubborn people. And so they're looking back uh, with eyes that look back and say, oh, look back uh, how we had it in Egypt. And uh, certainly uh, they're not remembering what it was really like with the taskmasters and and them having to work hard and their babies being killed. And so. But that's the kind of people they were, and I think that's uh, what Stephen is wanting the people that he's speaking to here, the council. I think he's wanting them to get uh, what uh, rebellion looks like, uh, what refusal to obey and recognize God, what looking back instead of looking forward uh, is all about.
0: All right, Paul, I appreciate that. Um, And in a minute, we're going to kind of talk about ultimately the self-willed choice that they made. But that's a good point. Brenda, do you
3: have any thoughts? Yeah, John, I do. Uh, It's more of a truth-factory moment here. Uh, Reading this text reminds me of Hebrews chapter 2, about the first three verses or so. Uh, But oftentimes when we read the Old Testament or even a New Testament writer quoting the Old Testament, we like to think um, that that wouldn't be us. We're never going to do that. That's not my problem. Uh, It's the same trap that a lot of the religious leaders fell into in the first century, that we would never kill the prophets. Uh, We would never speak ill of them. But it's a very common thing and very easy to fall into where we can become stiff-necked and resist what God would have us to do uh in Hebrews chapter two, those first three verses then come out the writers is talking about how much better Jesus is than the angels and he says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so we do not drift away from it for if the words spoken through angels prove unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation um it's sad sometimes we see individuals who come to the truth of the gospel and then because of their previous ideas or what they would want or what their ideas of what justice and everything else looks like, they end up rejecting the message and mm-hmm. while still deluding themselves to thinking they're on God's side. That's the same thing that Stephen's having to deal with here. Uh, Acts chapter 7 is basically the spark notes of the Old Testament, found in the New Testament. And he's trying to get these people to understand that you guys are doing exactly what your fathers did. You guys are rejecting what God's purposes are for you. You're rejecting all this stuff. And it's not just me saying this. Look at your history. Learn from it. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, we'll see at the end of the chapter, they don't. Um, so, But the truth factory moment for us is we should never think that we'll, we're never going to be in that position where we're going to reject what God wants for us. Uh, it's very easy to do. if We're not guarding our hearts.
0: I think that's a very, very good point, um, Brendan, that you make there. Um, and we'll talk about that here a little bit more. It, it It is easy to be blinded to... Sometimes we're blinded by the very actions that we're engaging in because we have the justification there and we think that we're right. But we're fundamentally doing no different than someone else has done back here. These people rejected God for idols and the generation that killed Jesus rejected Jesus. I mean, same thing, you know.
3: Well, idol worship is still alive and well today. Uh, it is. We just mm-hmm. we just call the gods by different names. That's uh, right. You know, politics is one of them, and that's all I'm going to say about that.
0: Uh huh. Well, speaking of different names, um, I have a typo on Brendan's, e- Brendan's email address. So it is Brendan at truthfactor.com, not truthfator. dot com Um, but that's a good point Brendan and I I appreciate that now let's consider something else here is is there another comment or thought before we move on from, from this particular verse we got a couple more thoughts within this area what we want to look at okay now notice here and Tom let me ask you this one here for just a moment I thought this was interesting in looking at the text there here we have a particular quote from Stephen, or a passage Stephen is quoting. Tom, does your Bible have a little footnote as to where this quote is coming from?
4: Yes, it does. Uh, Amos chapter 5, verses 25 through
0: 27. All right, so he's quoting from Amos chapter five, twenty-five through 27, and it seems to be he's quoting from the Septuagint's version of it. Um, but I did find something interesting Tom, if you look in Amos chapter 5, verse 27, there is a bit of difference, especially that last word. And I've often thought, I was looking at it yesterday, wondered about the the, the little bit of liberty that Stephen took with the last word there. Did you catch that?
4: You're talking about whose uh, name is the God of hosts?
0: No, where he says, and I will carry you away beyond. Amos is okay. Damascus. And both the Septuagint and the the Hebrew uses the term Damascus, but Stephen uses the term Hebrew or um, Babylon or oh, Babylon yeah yeah do, do you see any maybe possible significance to that in the modern day Stephen's modern day application of this prophecy
4: yeah well uh when Amos was writing, if I understand anything about the dating of Amos, um, he was dealing with uh, he was dealing with Israel
0: the northern nation and, uh, yeah the,
4: that is northern israel mm-hmm. uh, the uh, who who was going to be carried away by the assyrians and of course judah survived that right but about right. 100 and, uh, uh about 150 120 years later judah falls to babylon so he's just taking the text and making application to judah so i i so i, I mean it, it, it's a principle that would apply in both circumstances. And, and I just think that that's the way that Stephen's dealing with it because he's dealing with uh, Judea, the Jews. Well, but, but, but in his,
0: yes, the people who, are, who he's dealing with currently would be those descended from Judea or from Judah, like what you're talking about. But in the context of this, the ultimate point is God gave them up to worship whatever they wanted to. And as a result, he would deliver them. Um, I just wondered if maybe, you know, when you look at Damascus, beyond Damascus would be Assyrian and then later the Babylonian territory, because essentially Israel and Judah went to the same area of land. It was just under Assyrian control. And then later it was under Babylonian control. But I find it interesting that Stephen says carried away beyond Babylon. I, I don't know. I'm wondering if maybe there could be an even greater hint that of, um, Their rejection of God has gone so far that he has rejected them to the point of having to bring in a new covenant. Now, there, there may be nothing there like that. I just thought it was interesting. Any other thoughts? All right. Now, the important thing that before we move on is, and this is what Paul was talking about, and what Brendan was pointing out, these people willingly gave up God. They willingly, they're at the base of the mountain, said, Moses ain't coming back. You know, he's, he's gone away and we had a good in Egypt. Let's build us a calf and worship the gods of Egypt. So God gave them up unto God let them do that. Um, and let's see, Brendan, I'm reminded of a New Testament passage that might relate to this particular statement about God giving someone up. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Or do you have any, another comment there that might go along with that?
3: On the giving up part, well, we'll we'll talk about that first. I think you're maybe we're on the same page. Romans chapter one.
0: That we're um, no, I was going to um, oh. Second Thessalonians, where he 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 sends them a strong delusion because they do mm-hmm. not have a love for the truth. Right.
3: Well, I'll do it that first. See, the thing is. Mm-hmm. God, maybe this is a poor illustration, but it's, it's like when I was younger and I didn't clean my room. And my mom would come in and tell me I need to clean my room. And she would only tell me so many times before finally just hands up there and says, fine, if you want to live in filth, you can live in filth. And eventually, of course, it would get so bad where I had to clean it. But God does a similar thing. God is absolutely sovereign, but that sovereignty, he's not going to force himself upon you. If you choose not to worship Him, if you choose to reject Him, God in a sense puts His hands up and fine. You want to live a morally debased life? I'm gonna don't come looking to me for protection. You're gonna feel the full force of that kind of lifestyle. You're gonna feel the force without God. Now we know through other passages and, and other teachings that God God will take us back if we come repentant. Uh, but god giving them over it's just fine if you want to live that way i'm not going to force you to live my way now the, the comment I was going to make about the children going back to my earlier point some will say today that well if, if i just saw god or god did something to show himself to me that doesn't guarantee you're going to believe here's a whole nation that saw the 10 plagues of egypt That saw the miracles, saw the exodus, saw all of that, and here they are, not even a year out of Egypt. And they're going, I know what I saw in Egypt. I know Jehovah's real, but Moses is taking too long. Aaron, can you make us a new God? I mean, it's that easy to fall, uh, to, to delude yourself into thinking that you know better, or to go worship something else. Um, So again, going back to that Hebrews comment, take heed, pay much closer to attention.
0: That's a good point. Um, Paul, um, Brendan mentioned Romans chapter one. I do find it very interesting that that puts, that that creates a parallel between the unbeliever and one who is a believer, both finding themselves in the same situation.
1: Yeah, uh, you talked about giving them up, but it says there how God gave them up to vile passions. He describes a rebellious people uh, mm-hmm. who have uh, refused to recognize God, who he is. They refuse to worship God, and, and God has that passage tells us that he has clearly shown who he is. Uh, and yeah. in looking at that and clearly showing who he is, that they just refuse to see it. And so uh, that's going to get really interesting. But here here are those kind of people that uh probably these Jews would would understand were uh in outright rebellion against God. Uh but here I, I think that Stephen's going to try to draw a connection there that these people who have been followers of God are now going to be uh put in that kind of a class. Uh, by the time he's through with this sermon, uh, like in the Old Testament when they were rebellious, like what Brendan was talking about, and even like what unbelievers would be like. And so uh, we'll take a look at that as we finish up this chapter.
0: It's a good point, good point. Well, let's go ahead and do that. Let's continue now with our next section there, starting in verse 44 of the text. And let's see, who read a while ago? I think it was Brian who read. So, Tom, if you would start reading for us in verse 44, and let's just read down through verse 50, if you would.
4: All right. uh, We read here. Our fathers had a tabernacle in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for God, for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has, not, has my hand not made all these things?
0: All righty. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you reading that there. Tom, let me ask you a question, though. Isn't it interesting that he begins with the, the tabernacle? You know, oftentimes we get focused on the temple, but he, he really begins the emphasis on the tabernacle, any yeah. thoughts about that well,
4: yeah well well the tabernacle was what God originally God gave the instructions for the temple yeah. only came along because God gave permission for it but you know let's not forget that uh, these Jews in the time that uh, in, in the time that Stephen is speaking here they had all but made an idol out of the temple. I mean, if, if you really think about it, yes, it was the place where you were supposed to come worship God because he did give permission for it. But, but, but they had made more out of it than was intended. Uh, Stephen's trying to get him back understanding the idea that it is, that it's what's in the temple that's important. Uh, it, it's, it's the spiritual aspect of it. And, uh, um, very likely they're in this particular area as well that that is Stephen dealing with these individuals as he's going to challenge them on this particular occasion so we start off with the tabernacle what God intended and they went beyond that and we're kind of dealing with that in this situation
0: okay all right Mike, do you have any comments on this?
5: I find it interesting that the temple as as Thomas just said, did become kind of a idol worshipped thing, but God still placed his name there. It was a holy place uh, God's people yet the people of God did with the temple as they had done with the law and defiled it, made it a place of merchandise when Jesus was around it uh, and 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 simply lost their understanding of why God had his name at that place. I think there's a symb- uh, a symbolism here. When Stephen's speaking, the church is now in existence, and these very Jews that Stephen is, is talking to, had they listened carefully to the prophecies, had they enacted upon that law as they should have, would have realized that now they're defying the church of God. They're They're defying God's word. They're defying the Savior. They're defying everything about it to the point that now nothing of godliness is going to mean anything to them. They don't hold it sacred at all. Let's move ahead to 2019. That's why I'm very concerned about those individuals who have obeyed the gospel, turned their back on it, uh, counted the blood of the covenant wherewith they were uh, sanctified as an unholy thing, done despite under the spirit of grace. They're doing the same thing that these Jews did to the law of God under Moses. They're defying the law of Christ. They're counting the church as something that's not holy anymore, as if they go to heaven because they're better than God. No, they're not. That's, that's just not going to happen. We've got to submit to God, and we've got to understand that we are his servants. We are his creation. As, as the prophet says here, God says, heaven is my throne. The earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of a house will you build for me, says the Lord? Well, Peter answered that when he said, we are build up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a, 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 a royal, uh, a, a holy priesthood, I a, 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 a royal, I can't, I can't remember all of it. But all these things are in God's hands. These are the the supreme, the spiritual side of things. Mm -hmm. We'd move away from the material and understand how God saves souls, not buildings. We'd be a lot better off.
0: Royal nation and a holy priesthood.
5: That's it. Yep. Yeah, Yeah.
0: you're right about that. we have a we have a comment in the chat room real quick, so let me, from our Facebook page, and Drew says it is very similar to what different denominations have done to their places of worship. Now, see, that's a very interesting point, um, and I'll take just a minute to talk about that before we continue on. When it comes to the work of the local church, we try to be very careful that we don't assign to the local church responsibilities that God has not placed upon it, all right? So that's why with the funds of the local church, there are certain things we will not do uh, because they're outside of the scope of the work of the local church. It's not because we view the the building as any place holy like the temple, okay? Because we know the church, the building is not a temple. It's not a holy place, but it was built with funds that were Given to the work of the Lord, therefore, there are limitations on it. But when you look at what has gone on in the denominational world, it is as if the local buildings have become quasi temples, and you look at all that goes on within yeah. those things. It's just, it is deviating greatly from what we see within the New Testament pattern. John,
5: if I, if I may add to a point to that, please. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are, the, way, the way most of us grew up were in very meager means. Buildings were very simplistic. They were oftentimes uh, used to be schoolhouses and converted into places of worship. Nowadays, it seems that even among some churches of Christ, and I'm not pointing fingers. I don't mean it that way. I'm just stating fact that even among some churches of Christ, there are edifices built that the poor of this world don't feel welcome to come through the front door for fear they'd soil the carpet. Church of our Lord was never intended to hold people away. It was always intended to save from the poorest to the most wealthy, dependent upon their conversion from sin to Christ. We can't hold anybody out from it. And we need not put an appearance that says you're not welcome here because you're not in our upper class. We need to get down to the con. uh, We need to condescend to men of low estate and make all men feel welcome to sit with us. I've even made the statement from lots of pulpits. If you've got a guy coming off the street that obviously hadn't seen a bar of soap for 10 or 12 days, but he's interested enough to come in and listen to the singing and the praying and the preaching. That's still got a soul in him, and he's welcome to sit with me. We need to understand that among people. We can't. We can't eliminate people because of their lack of things. If they lack God, then that's what we supply to all.
0: Sounds like you're referencing James chapter two. Absolutely. Very good point. Very good point. All right, I have one more uh, thought question, and I'm going to throw this at Brian. And then we'll move on to the next section real quick. Brian, do you think maybe there's a connection between the charges made against Stephen and his comment about the temple that we see here?
2: That's a great uh, observation. And and, uh, one of the things we know is that in chapter 6, uh, he is accused of committing blasphemy against the temple and against the law, which is, as we mentioned before, is the same crimes that Jesus was accused of as well. And so it's interesting that, again, uh, we mentioned this before, that Stephen's, uh, Stephen's elaboration on the story of these things uh, suggests that he's he's intimately familiar with them and, and that the accusation of blasphemy oftentimes comes from a place of ignorance, that if somebody doesn't know how Uh, how the temple came about or the things of the temple, then what it is is, you know, that 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 might be the reason why they're committing blasphemy. So by Stephen being so uh, familiar with this, and as we brought it up, the, you know, the foundation of the temple that first of all, his familiarity indicates that it's not, you know, that that it's not from ignorance that he's doing this. But of course his comment is that the temple really isn't the dwelling place of God. And this was something that they should have understood um, But, you know, by the way, one of the things I was thinking of is interesting is that in the prophet uh, Ezekiel, there is a spiritual image of God actually leaving the temple so that even in the sense that to some degree there is a there is a connection between God and the temple. There's also a question whether or not that can, that that relationship is still intact, especially since. This now is the third temple or the second temple, considering, since the the one that Solomon built, which was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. So there's that consideration as well. But fundamentally, his point is, God doesn't dwell in the temple. I'm not committing blasphemy if I'm pointing to a place that God himself says, I don't really live there. And that's the important idea, I think, that you might be alluding to.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I, just, I think so. I think that's what I was... Yeah, that's exactly what I was referencing. I appreciate <laughs> it. No, <laughs> I, I can't. You can't help but see that connection. You know, the place place that you you hold up so high, God doesn't really
2: dwell there. You I, know, I will say it's kind of unusual the way Jesus in Matthew twenty three contrasts the idea of the temple whenever the pharisees saw the gold of the temple as the great thing and jesus says it's the altar or that's you know and they see the sacrifice as the great thing and jesus says it's the altar it's the temple mm-hmm. not not again that jesus was was glorifying these these physical things but just saying that the the mechanisms themselves uh were were not the gilded portion but the spiritual work that they accomplished exactly yeah yeah,
0: and we know the presence of the Lord would be either with them in Jerusalem or not with them in Jerusalem, depending on their their status and uh, faithfulness and so forth. Isn't that right, Paul?
1: Yes, sir. Okay, uh, I would agree with that. I had
0: to step away for a moment, but I could hear what you were saying. Well, hangouts put you right beside me. You replaced Brian just so well. I mean, from the top of the head, you look similar. Um, but I didn't just replace Brian; I upgraded. Okay. <laughs> just kidding just
1: kidding no uh i brian had some really good things to say i could hear what he was was talking about and i i do appreciate that very much yeah
0: well let's go ahead are there any other thoughts real quick before we look at the last section here this is where it gets it gets heated if you would all right brendan i'm gonna have you if you would sir, sort to of read beginning in verse 51 Read down through verse 60 Why don't you do us a favor and read from the New American Standard Version today.
3: But I have the New Revised Standard today. I don't have that one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was setting no, I, you up. <laughs> I'm not a heretic, no. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, you do read from the New American Standard Version, don't you?
3: Yes, yes. Normally. No. Okay. Okay. Trying to I was comparing some things to you how know, the new revised standard worded some of that stuff with the Joel prophecies. Um interesting. So you said fifty one through the end of the chapter. Help if I'm in the right book. It's Acts chapter seven. I was in Hebrews chapter seven. Uh some some points I was looking at with the tabernacle. All right. Starting verse 51. to the end of the chapter of 57, you said? Uh, verse
0: 60, I'll be good.
3: Okay, end of the chapter. Okay. You men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the Righteous One, whose betrayers and murderers you now have become. You uh, "'You who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet did not keep it.' "'Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, "'and they began gnashing their teeth at him. "'But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven "'and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. "'And he said, "'Behold, I see the heavens open up "'and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God.' "'But they cried out with a loud voice and covering their ears "'and rushed him at, with one impulse.' When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses lay aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep.
0: All right, thank you, Brendan. When we back up in the text there to verse 50, um, 51. There's something I noted real quick that I want to kind of bring out here for just a moment. So in everything that in, in all the illustrations and in, in the teaching here, you think he's going all the way back and he illustrated how God chose Abraham. And then he also illustrated how God had given to Moses the living oracles and not just to Moses, but to the descendants of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. These are now the Israelites. God gave the living oracles to them, entrusted it to them. But yet in verse 51, Brendan, what does he accuse them of doing? Resisting the Holy Spirit. Yes, just as their fathers did. Go back to when they were at the bottom of Mount Sinai, Moses was up there, and this whole thing of let's build an a calf and and worship the gods of Egypt, they resisted the Holy Spirit then, just as the people of uh that Stephen is talking to, they resisted the Holy Spirit um and you think about it, you know sometimes whenever we preach, we'll talk about how bad the Israelites were. Well, you know, there were probably times in the synagogue where the Jewish leaders would stand up there and just really ridicule their forefathers for having worshipped idols there on Mount Sinai. And maybe they did say that. Imagine now when Stephen says, you are no different than these individuals. Hey,
1: John, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was looking at this, and it's interesting, you know, verse 50, the the history lesson ends, and verse 51, the <laughs> the preaching begins, and uh, he, he lays this all out. I'm sure they're just nodding, thinking, we know this. We, well, who are you telling, uh, you know, in, in thinking that he can lecture the council on, on uh, what we would call Old Testament, what they would have called, you know, biblical history or uh, scripture history. And
0: uh, instead, uh, you know, now he says, that's you. And That's it's right. a pretty powerful lesson. And Tom, in our private chat, reminded us that he did the same. Jesus did the same thing in Matthew chapter 23. That's, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um. And in addition to that, notice here, Uh, since I got you up on camera, Paul, Paul sure. who else did he accuse them of having rejected in verses 52 and 53?
1: Well, uh, looking down through there, he says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Uh, they killed the four, uh, they killed those who foretold the coming of the Just One. So it's talking about uh, that they had abused the prophets, uh, they had betrayed and murdered Jesus, and uh, that they had just rejected everything that uh, their fathers had done. That and then they had rejected what the prophets were talking about, and then they had uh, betrayed and and murdered Jesus
0: uh, into the hands of the Romans. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Tom, what was their reaction in verse 54 to this revelation or this realization or indictment, really?
4: Well, well, it's kind of interesting because you can go back to Acts chapter 2 and about verse number 37 and find a similar statement. At least, I know, especially the King James writes it the same way where it says they were cut to the heart. In other words, they were pricked in the heart uh, as a result of what he said. But of course, the difference between Acts two and Acts seven. In Acts two, they cried out, "What shall we do?" Here they became angry. They became so angry that he na- they gnashed at him with their teeth. So you've got the idea of anger to the point of gritting their teeth, to the point of they're so mad that they take him out of the city and uh, execute him. Yeah.
1: What does that phrase mean? Um, I was going to compare some other translations to how they gnashed it. Uh, they began gnashing their teeth at him. Are they like grinding? their? I've I heard some people say that they were like biting on him or something. Mm-hmm. It's more the idea that they were like grinding and, you know, yeah. uh, gritting their teeth. And then they're just so angry that they're, as we say, their teeth are set on edge and uh, they're clenched. Uh, or is it something different than that?
0: What do you think, Brian?
2: Um, i got to jump back to where I was. Or uh, Brendan? But I bet Brendan has an answer. Let's go to Brendan.
3: <laughs> the funny thing is, the new revised standard words it as, uh, and I just lost it because it's paragraph format. Uh, Where'd it go? They ground their teeth at Stephen. That's so what I- the ESV says as well. Yeah. Which to me, that just. Kind of, yeah.
4: Yeah. You know, yes. Well, well yeah. you you know sometimes sometimes when people get angry and it's associated with somebody that's very angry, you know they will do that. They'll grit their teeth. You know, not not literally biting somebody, but right. just you know, as if you can pardon the illustration there. I mean, you get uh, you get angry like that, and then that just leads to something. So
3: yeah, that's right. I think that's right. Clenching your jaw is what I think of. <laughs> yeah. But it's something that's very
0: obvious, and it's a reaction to their anger. And it's part of that, the anger display. Yeah. All right, let's see. A couple more points here. Now we're we're hitting the end of Stephen's life. And what he's about to say, he doesn't do it intentionally to make them even more mad, although it will um, do that. But, uh, Brian, what was it that Stephen saw and was bold enough to even tell him that he saw.
2: You know, it actually, uh, and I think this is really unusual. So it says there that the heavens were opened, and he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Um, And that's really, really unusual. And at this point, you know, they're, they're upset, but they're not, nobody's doing anything. And for him to suddenly, in the midst of this testimony, get this vision, which... It's kind of interesting. The vision is kind of what seems to be that the thing that sets them off to murder here at the end. Um, that that him looking up and seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of God is really, really an unusual thing. I mean, if you think about people that would see God, uh, you know, Paul of course on the road to Damascus, uh, whatever vision Paul had, and uh, you know, in Second Corinthians twelve possibly, and then John in Revelation, uh, it's it's such a such a rare thing that it really is something extraordinary to have happen in the moment there. So, uh, that vision really is, really is interesting. And it, and it kind of, again, um, speaks to the idea of, of a distinction between God the father and God the son too, that, that can be understood there as well. I think there's several things that are interesting and worth considering in that.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, Michael, do you have any thoughts or comments on this?
5: I just shared it in our private chat. Uh, To my knowledge, this is the only passage that states that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. To my knowledge, all others say that he was sitting. It's interesting to note then that Jesus is very much paying attention to this and in Jesus' way, honoring Stephen for his devotion and dedication to the truth and dying for the cause of Christ.
0: Yeah. And pardon me. And it further illustrates. What Peter had been speaking about Jesus has descended to the right hand side of his father. Yes. The, the whole idea of him now reigning over his kingdom is emphasized, I think, with what he sees here.
5: Yeah. Um, it, it also appears that that would have been quite a welcome for Stephen. Uh, I'm not going to go into the where are the dead argument with no more time than we have left, but it it does look like a very pleasant way a righteous man to die regarding his soul not his body but then Stephen's not regarding his body he's regarding the righteousness with which and by which he dies that's right that's right
0: um all right last question before we hit the the end of this and let me throw this one here to Brendan which character is introduced in Luke's narrative at this final stage of Stephen's life
3: A background character by the name of Saul, who in season three will become the main character. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. This little, this end of it, this young man, I think is what the text says, by the name of Saul, who in just a few chapters will be converted to Christ and have a name change and become Paul the Apostle.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Alright, so the instrument of the demise of Stephen, of course, was stoning. Um, what I find interesting about this is earlier the uh, council feared the people, feared that they might be stoned by the people. So they had to be careful how they dealt with the apostles. We see how volatile religion could be during this time period. And, and Paul, I mean, what, what did they do?
1: I'm sorry, uh, in regard to? Stephen. Oh, well, they they stoned him to death, and um, they executed him, uh, in essence. Uh, Stoning was something we see in the Old Testament that was uh, a form of of execution for those who had violated certain laws. And and, uh, I'm not sure that they're even of a mind to say he's violated anything. They're just outraged, and they're running at him, and and they uh, do this. And then, of course, he cries out to the Lord. But, you know, he even has a spirit of forgiveness uh, as this happens, that uh, even as the Lord said uh, uh, not to yeah. that, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing here, he says, uh, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And so uh, we, we find this uh,
0: very good man uh, dying for his faith. Yeah, and can you can you imagine for just a moment as Stephen is seeing the Lord Jesus, and then says to him, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." Oh, yeah, that
1: had to just, <laughs> uh, if you can excuse the expression, just burn him a little more. Yeah. Uh, that here, you know, he he is. Uh, uh, I, I I don't know. I, I was wanting to look back at that and say,
0: does it tell us that they saw that or that he saw that? Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's just him. Yeah. And he's telling them what he sees, of course. Yes. Yeah, and you know what? what? What he saw there, he saw before they carried him out to stone him. You'll notice yeah, he, that. He it says that he before. was full
1: of Holy Spirit, and that allowed him to gaze into heaven and yeah. see the glory of God. So, yeah, I, I apologize. I, I should well, have I was.
0: I was suggesting, though, that he was still seeing was the Lord stoned. Jesus when Jesus. he was stoned, and that may not have been the case, you know. And has always been, already has been touched on the forgiveness in the part of Stephen's heart when he says, "There, Lord, do not hold this sin against them." Um, Stephen was going to forgive him, but ultimately, it would still be up to God to do that. Okay. Any other final thoughts or comments on this particular section? Let's
5: start with you, Mike, since we've
0: got up on screen.
5: I, I find that Stephen is absolutely an incredible gospel preacher. Uh, we, we touched in the earliest beginnings of, of younger men starting into preaching. I would take the advantage of this time to tell those young men that are wanting to preach, learn to preach it as boldly as Stephen. Don't be ashamed of what you're saying, provided you can prove it. Make sure that you prove it. And even though they may charge you and cost you your life, don't deny the faith. Keep preaching it as boldly and as soundly as the scriptures will allow you to do it.
0: Thank you, Mike. That's a very good point. Very good encouragement. Uh, Brian, do you have any final thoughts or comments?
2: You know, uh, one thing is, it's kind of unfortunate the chapter is broken here, and we said that already at the beginning of this chapter, because this incident is is the catalyst, is the fuse, is the so to speak, for this major persecution that's about to begin. So this isn't just Stephen that's going to suffer. All the brethren are going to get hurt by this. And of course, uh, we can't imagine, and we'll talk about this next week, I know, uh, we can't imagine how awful it would be to have one of your prominent members of your congregation murdered, and this sets off a... A wave of violence against your whole congregation—that that's really something to heavy to consider. The only other thing I was going to add is I do think it's interesting that whenever Jesus was brought before Pilate, that one of the excuses the Jews made in order to get Pilate to be the one to put Jesus to death, and they said, "Well, we don't have the legal right to put somebody to death." I think it's very interesting that that doesn't seem to be a a matter here, so uh, worthy of our observation too, perhaps.
0: Ah, that's a very good point. Very good point, Tom. Do you have any final thoughts?
4: No uh, no. Uh, uh, good discussion today We'll just continue next week Alright and two
0: more Brendan any final thoughts or comments
3: Quick thought building off of Brian's uh, This persecution we'll start Seeing next week actually Is kind of the catalyst also for them, The church to actually start going out And fulfilling the great commission And the part of going into all the world Because up until now they've stayed in Jerusalem And the message has just stayed there now we're going to see, even in the midst of persecution, they didn't stop teaching. They didn't stop preaching. They didn't stop converting people. Um, so stuff to look forward
0: to. All right. That's right. And Paul, any final thoughts?
1: Uh, no. Uh, Stephen, the accusation against Stephen is this man ceases, uh, never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change The uh, customs that Moses delivered to us, Uh, Stephen really does a nice job of answering that. Uh, He pays with his life. Uh, Something that Mike said there, uh, to preach it boldly. Uh, You know, today uh, you preach boldly, what's most likely going to happen? Uh, They're not going to pay you any longer for preaching. As we would say in common lingo, you'd get fired. Uh, They'd send you away, you know, uh, whatever that would be. Uh, Stephen was bold enough to do it even Uh, at a much greater price
0: yeah that's a very very good point all righty well i appreciate everyone's study today i appreciate you joining us for this study and if you're watching this at a later point in time we'd love to hear from you as paul mentioned earlier you can send all questions and comments to questions at truthfactor.com do us a favor if you would and subscribe to our youtube channel which is truth factor live subscribe and click the notification bell icon and follow us on Facebook too. And we don't do much with Twitter, but we do monitor the Twitter, um, Twitterverse. So if you'd like to send us a comment at truth factor live, we'll respond as well all righty thank you so much for joining us this week i think next week shelton is down to lead the study through chapter eight of the book of acts and we're looking forward to that that'll be next wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m central time
1: that's 12 noon in the eastern
0: time zone
4: 9 a.m pacific time and 10 a.m mountain time
0: that's right here at live.truthfactor.com have a wonderful week